Let us pray. Emmanuel, God with us, we thank you that you came. We thank you that you will come again. But we thank you that you are always with us, even to the end of this age. In your name we pray. Amen. We're in our message series called This Baby Changes Everything. And we're in part three. We certainly thank Mark Pulliam for sharing last week's message with us. Thus far, as you can see, we've talked about how he came. He was that divine interruption. Last week, Mark shared with us how he will come again someday at the end of time. And today we look, about, look at how he comes today. Now, I don't know what you do with your Bible. I know a lot of people use it to store old papers and pictures and press flowers from the prom and homecoming. But, you know, one of the really great uses of this book is to read it. And I've been reading this book for many, many years. In fact, I try to make it a, a habit to read through the Bible all the way every year. And before this year is out, I'm going to give you another opportunity and lay before you a challenge to do the same thing. Now, all I'm saying is I have gone through this many, many times, and I have seen the words in here many, many times. But I wonder if you have ever considered the white space between the words. It's the white space in between these words that, well, it's fertile soil for questions. I mean, for example, I've read the story of Adam and Eve. Now, Adam and Eve took that fruit and gave it to Adam, ate it. But I've read the white space in between, and I ask myself, I wonder if Eve ever ate fruit again. In fact, I've even asked myself, I wonder what kind of fruit it was that she ate. Or I've read the story of Noah and the ark, and I wonder if storms scared him the rest of his life. Or Jonah. I wonder if Jonah stopped eating fish. I mean, I have all kinds of goofy questions I could come up with, but in all the wonderings I've ever had about what went on or what went around in that story, there's one question that I never ask. It's a question that none of us ever have to ask, and the question is this, does God care about us? We don't need to answer that question. We don't need to say, does, do we really matter to God? I mean, does God still love us even today? See, it's through the face of that little stable-born baby where he says to us, yes, yes, your sins are forgiven. Yes, your name is written in heaven. Yes, your God has come into this world in the form of a baby, and the baby's name is Emmanuel, God with us. Now, if you look at this next screen, Emmanuel, this is what it looks like in Old Testament Hebrew. It is a combination of two Hebrew words. The first half of that, before what you consider to be a comma, is the Hebrew word El. Like E-L, it means God. Maybe you've heard those before, like El Shaddai. Powerful God. The second part of that is a uh, Hebrew word again, which is Imanu. El Imanu. Now, when we read it in Hebrew, we don't read it left to right, we read it right to left, and so we would not say El Imanu, we would say Imanu El. Imanu El. The word, sometimes you see it spelled today, the word Emmanuel, you sp see it spelled with an E, 
like Emmanuel Lutheran Church with an E. Well, that's simply a Greek spelling. Or, for example, the very first church I served as a pastor was Emmanuel, Emmanuel Lutheran Church with an I, and that is the Hebrew. The interesting thing is that word right there, Emmanuel, is only used three times in all of the Bible. It's used twice in the book of Isaiah, once in chapter 7, once in chapter 8, and then it's used again in Matthew chapter 123, which is what uh, Dennis read to us this morning. But I want to go back to Emmanuel, or, or go back to Isaiah, because where it pops up is a very interesting story, and I would almost bet you that most of you have never really read this story. We're going to go back to the days of the prophet Isaiah. Syria and Israel were attacking Judah. And they were attacking Judah for the purpose of trying to convince the king of Judah, whose name was Ahaz, to join a coalition so that the three of them would then go and fight against another country called Assyria. Ahaz wasn't sure that he wanted to get involved with these other countries. He wasn't sure whether he wanted to lead Judah into battle. But then Isaiah the prophet came into him and said, Ahaz, you need to learn to trust in the word of the Lord when it comes to this threat about Syria and Israel. He said, in fact, God wants you to know something. You're not even going to have to worry about Syria and Israel because God is going to bring them to come to nothing. And Ahaz said, well, that may be, but how am I going to know this for sure? And so then Isaiah the prophet announced God's intention and told Ahaz, I'm going to give you a sign. God's going to give you a sign to prove to it that you don't need to worry about these other countries. God's going to give you a sign so that you know that Judah, God's people, that God is always going to be with his people. He said Syria and Israel would no longer be a threat. But before this peace and prosperity came to a reality, Isaiah announced that there would be a drastic purging at the hands of the king of Assyria. Assyria is going to come in and basically annihilate a whole bunch of people. He said, but just a remnant, just a few people would experience this good future that God would bring to his chosen people. And that sign that God chose to give to Ahaz was the birth of a child within whose childhood all of these events of promise and judgment would take place and they said this baby's name would be El Imanu, Imanu El. Isaiah bestows the name of the promised child Emmanuel on Judah because Judah would be preserved only because God has always been with his people. Now, here comes Matthew in today's reading. And Matthew brings it up again. He uses this Old Testament prophecy about how a virgin is going to conceive and bear a son, and they're going to call him El Imanu, Imanu El. It says, Behold, a virgin will be with child, shall bring forth a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us. That's because he wants us to know that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to always be with his people. See, Matthew is saying that this baby born in Bethlehem 
to be named Jesus. Remember, they're going to call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He is the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy. Mary is that virgin who will be with child, and this child will be, now and always, God with us. Now, that was the promise given way back a long time ago to King Ahaz, and it has always been God's promise that God will be with his people. Now, let me give you a few examples from the Old Testament. If you remember the story of Moses, let's just think about Moses for a moment. In many ways, Moses was not a very good choice to be the deliverer of God's people. Even though he'd grown up in Pharaoh's house, he had been banished from the kingdom after he'd actually murdered an Egyptian slave master. And from that time on, he disappeared out into the desert where he tended sheep for his father-in-law, Jethro. But then at the ripe old age of 80, now imagine being called into full-time ministry at the age of 80. I got, I got news for you folks. At the age of 80, I hope I've been called into full-time retirement. But at the age of 80, God calls him to go back to Egypt and free my people. Now, you remember the story? Moses didn't want to go. He had all kinds of excuses. Uh, he said, I, 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 I don't talk very good. God says, take care, and he talks all the time. Uh, you know, but he finally comes with this, this big excuse in Exodus chapter 3. He says, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Here's what God said to him, Exodus chapter 3. I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you'll worship God on this mountain. See, if, God, if Moses was afraid, and chances are he was, notice how God answered his fears. Very simply, I will be with you. Was he with him? Sure. I mean, Moses faces the new Pharaoh. He does it with confidence. He, God enables him to perform a few miracles. And when Pharaoh doesn't like that, God brings a whole bunch of plagues on him. And finally, Pharaoh relents. The people found themselves free. They wander around in the desert, but God is still with them. He leads them by day with a pillar of, of smoke. He leads them at night with this pillar of fire. He feeds them miraculously with this manna from heaven. God never left his people. He was El Imanu, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us. One of my other favorite uh, Bible characters from the Old Testament is Joshua. And I like it, I suppose, a little bit because I got a grandson named, named Joshua, but I've always loved the story of Joshua. Imagine this Joshua has to replace Moses. Moses, this outstanding, charismatic leader. And now Joshua has to take over. And, and, and he already knows this is going to be a tough job. The people had seen all kinds of miraculous signs under Moses. The question, I'm sure a lot of people, was like, what's Joshua going to be like now? I mean, they had been freed from 400 and some years of slavery. They had miraculously got away from Pharaoh's army. They had come through the Red Sea. Uh, they had seen the law given to them, the Ten Commandments up on the top of Mount Sinai. The promised land was right in front of them across the Jordan River, but they already been told they weren't going to be handed that land on a silver platter. 
there was going to be a lot of work to be done. The question was, will the Lord be with Joshua like he had been with Moses? You can imagine the night before they're going to cross the Jordan River, the Bible says that Joshua kind of went down to the river and said, by the way, God, uh, why did we have to come here during flood season? The river is as big and as wild as ever. What are we going to do? Why did you choose me? This is what God said to him in Joshua chapter 1, 5, and 6. He said, Joshua, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead the people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. In other words, God was still what? El Imanu, Emmanuel, God with us. God never left him. Well, let's move out of the Old Testament. Let's go to the New Testament. What about Jesus' disciples? Can you imagine for a moment the roller coaster ride those disciples had been on in the three years they knew Jesus? They had seen Jesus crucified. They had seen Jesus' body laid out on some slab in the tomb. Uh, they had wept for Jesus. Some of the disciples scattered. Some of them denied him. One of them actually took his own life. But they had, then they suddenly witnessed something that no one ever thought they'd ever see, and that's that Jesus came back from the grave. I mean, first the tomb was empty. Then they realized Jesus was there. He appeared to them. He didn't appear just once or twice. The Bible says he appeared to many people over a, quite a number of days. And so there was no doubt. But then on the last day, Jesus was with his disciples. He takes them up to the Mount of Olives. And he gives them one last set of instructions. And you hear these instructions every time we ever have a baptism here. Jesus says to them, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything whatsoever I have commanded you. And surely, he says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Now, these disciples later become the apostles, and they faced continual persecution as the teachings about Jesus were spread all over the world. And, and every last, with the exception of one, John who dies of old age, all of the other disciples and the apostles are martyred. They're murdered for their faith. But they carried with them that reassuring word, I will always be with you. Now, it'd be easy for us to say, well, okay, Pastor, you've just given us three wonderful examples from that dusty old book called the Bible. What about us? What about today? Well, that's what I want to tell you. The promise of Emmanuel comes to us even today, 2010. Emmanuel, El Emmanuel, however you want to say it, God with us. Now, true, he's no longer with us in the flesh like he was with his disciples, but he is with us in even a more special way today is through the presence of his Holy Spirit. I'll tell you, we got Santa Claus at both ends over here today. But I, I, I see it. It's actually Sandra Claus. I think they're both. But I, I, you, remember, you remember the day of baptism. 
You remember that? That's been that, that long ago. The promise in holy baptism is this, that through the water and through the word, what is God able to do? Create faith in the heart of that, that you. Yeah, you, the little one. That means that the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of your heart. Isn't that a wonderful thing? You've got the resident president. I mean, you can't get it any closer than having God not just with you, but you've got God in you. Now, you go back and you look at John chapter 14. Jesus is praying. And he says, I'm going to ask the Father. He's talking about his dad. He says, but he, I'm going to leave, but I'm, he's going to leave you another counselor to be with you forever. I'm going to leave this spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives in you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, he said. I will come to you. Now, did God come? Sure. Will he come again? Sure. Is he here now? Sure. It's called the Holy Spirit living in us. So God, Jesus, Emmanuel continues to be with us through this, the precious Holy Spirit. I don't know that we think about the Holy Spirit near enough. Somebody actually wrote a book a number of years ago, which was called The Missing Person of the Trinity. We talk a lot about the Father, a lot about the Son, we don't talk much about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who the Bible calls the counselor. I don't know what you think of when you hear the word counselor. I know, you know, when I taught in high school, we had counselors that would always help the students, you know, either in a personal problem or sometimes help them pick out a college. Uh, my grandson who's in college has a counselor, someone who advises him on classes. Some people have problems in their life, and they go see a, a marriage counselor, a family counselor, whatever. I mean, that's what the Spirit does. He kind of helps us sort things out. He's an advocate. He goes between us and the Father. He's a comforter. Uh, he's come. He now lives in us. So God's promise, boil it all down, still stays. God is here, and he lives in us. His promise is he'll be with us forever. He'll never leave us or forsake us. And so today, Emmanuel is God's promise to always be with you. And he's with you in the tough, tough times and trials of life, whether it be in a job loss or a financial loss or family turmoil or marriage problems. You know, we live in a really harsh world. And the reality is that trouble and trials still hit us. Now, David knew what it was like to face tough times. He knew what it was like to seek comfort in the comforting arms of God. In fact, as you read through the book of Psalms, you'll find a lot of them where, where David is just simply reflecting the awareness of the promise of God in his life. I mean, as you look at Psalm 9, verses 9 and 10, he says, The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know the name of, your, the, name of the Lord, all they have to do is seek you, and you comfort them. So again, friends, Emmanuel is God's promise that you are safe in his dwelling. You're safe in his abiding place. He's with you, and he comes in a variety of ways. You probably wonder why I going to get to the last point. Well, there's the last point of the message. How does this happen today? I'm not going to talk a lot about that, but I think most of you know. He comes through the word of God. 
We talked about that this morning in, in, in Bible study, in adult Bible study, the need to, to meditate on the Word of God, to plant, you know, like Psalm 119 says, to hide the Word of God in our hearts. I mean, how many times has the Word of God spoken to you in, in some way? Now, it may have come when you were just reading the Bible on your own. You read this Bible passage and you just kind of went, wow. Or maybe you heard it as the pastor read a word of God and you kind of went, ah, that spoke to me. Or maybe it was through a song and you heard you sang a word of God and it, it, and it worked in your heart. That's how God comes to us. He comes to us through all kinds of situations. I, I know a lot of people call things coincidences. I don't know that there is such a thing as a coincidence in a Christian's life. I don't know if there's anything known as luck in God's life. I had a friend who told me, he, he always liked the word uh, God incidents. I mean, God was behind it. You know, when, when we you know, are skidding down the road and suddenly the car spins two or three times, we go in between two semi-trucks and we come out on the other side, we kind of go, boy, was that lucky. No, maybe that was a God incidence. Maybe God who was there, who was always there, protected you through that. He comes through other people. Another person that comes up alongside you and gives you an encouraging word who puts their arm around you as you're walking through some difficult times of life. I mean, that person carries the Spirit with you, with them, and they come and they share it with you. He comes speaking the Holy Spirit to you. He comes when, uh, when he does what no man can do. Now, I've had this happen to me on a couple of occasions. I've had people call and they say, Pastor, I got a lot of trouble. I've tried everything else, so I've called you. That's comforting, isn't it? <laughs> I'm, your, I'm their last resort. They tried everything else. Why not call the pastor? Well, that's okay. It may be that I'm, nobody else was able to give them an answer, and maybe I, I was able to help them a little bit, but guess what? I can't really help. It's God using other people to help other people. Because God can do what no pastor can do. God can do what no spouse can do. God can do what no doctor can do. Man, I mean, how many stories have I ever heard about that? That God is able to do what no one else can do. See, God is with us. In fact, he, he's in us. So we don't have to face anything in life without him. I don't care where you are, friends, in this next week. If you are a Christian, you didn't leave God in church. I mean, God doesn't live at 4600 Texas Boulevard. God lives in you through the presence of the Spirit. And he never fails to be with us, even though you and I fail to be with him. We know we're all sinners. The Bible says all of sin falls short of the glory of God. That's why he came as a baby in the first place. If you and I were perfect and were able to get ourselves to heaven on our own, there would be absolutely no reason for God to become Emmanuel. But we aren't, and he is. He's God with us. You know, that wonderful story of Joseph and Mary back in the book of Matthew. Bethlehem. All of that. The story of God choosing to come and live in us. In the message translation of the Bible, I like the way Eugene Peterson talks about it. John 1.14, he says, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. I like that. Jesus moved into our neighborhood. I mean, that's the story. Uh, the gospel is the story of God loving us so much that he actually became 
like one of us. He came to live among us so that we might one day live with him. I hope all of you have that hope today. Does God live within you? I mean, so many times, uh, so many in our time celebrate Christmas, but they have no idea of the hope and the assurance that Emmanuel offers. I pray that you have that hope, knowing that the Spirit lives within you, that Emmanuel is with you no matter. One of the songs that we often hear at Christmas time is Handel's Messiah. Many of us are familiar with like the Hallelujah Chorus. An author wrote something about Handel's Messiah, and I just want to end with these words. He wrote this, quote, Never again are we to look at the stars as we did when we were children and wonder how far it is to God. A being outside our world would be a spectator, looking on but taking no part in this life where we try to be brave despite all the bafflement. A God who created and withdrew could be mighty, but he could not be love. Who could love a God remote when suffering is our lot? Our God is closer than our problems, for they are out there to be faced, but he is here beside us, Emmanuel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you came, you will come again, but you are here with us right now. That's your promise to us through your word, Emmanuel, God with us. And Lord, we also thank you today for coming to us through your word and the work of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your continued presence in our lives and for your changing work in our lives. We humbly ask for you to continually change us to be more like you, to open our eyes to your presence in our daily lives, and for you to tender our hearts to hearing you speak. And empower us to share the change that brings about new life in you with others. And empower us to be people of godly change in our world. We pray it in the name of Jesus, who also taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.